Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to continue in the second part as Caleb announced, uh, what about grace? What about grace? Part 2, titled, The Sum of Real Grace. The Sum of Real Grace. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord God, for your presence here today. May it come alive and touch each heart and each life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, 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 amen. Uh, just as Caleb just said, we saw last week that grace is, is we studied last week, uh, grace is very expensive to give, um, and for it to fit into God's equation of grace, uh, it, it has to be received freely. You can't pay for it. You've got to receive it freely. Uh, anyone who, who is, is God loves and, and calls by his name, you have to receive his grace into your life freely. We studied also last week about the reality of how hard it is for us to do that, to accept that. Accept just the, 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 the mere fact that it's free, that we can't work for it, we can't earn it, that we just have to take it. We just have to reach out and grab his grace for free. You, you, you cannot do anything to earn it. Okay, and, and the reason that it's so hard for us to do that is because we have a nature, a sin nature that we inherited from Adam, and that sin nature, part of it, involves pride. And pride says that I have to be part of it. I have to earn it in some kind of way, but we've got to get it for free. We can't earn our salvation, okay? If we do start thinking that we've been good enough or done enough or, 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 or worked hard enough to, to, to be righteous then what we've done is we've, we've entered into a place of self-sufficiency where, where we can uh, self-elevate ourselves and be proud of ourselves. We've earned our right standing before God, if you would. And, and this, for sure, is the first step to a fall. You will fall because you're entering into pride. We should always remember that grace is the doorknob on the door that enters into our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes or no one comes to the Father except through me. So anyone who thinks that they can enter because of something they've done instead of what Jesus did on the cross, you're entering into a place of pride and self-sufficiency. It's just a matter of time. You will fall because you think that you're doing... Because self-sufficiency, listen to me, dear one, self-sufficiency takes away from the cross. It, it chips away at the cross. And because of that, you tend to think that you don't need that relationship. You take away from that relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's so distressing for me to see this. I see people who, who strive in, in their own strength to, to be right before God. And, and, and before long, it, it, it's misery in their life. Um, it's a, a self-righteousness, and, and it brings forth just this, this air of, of haughtiness upon themselves. I don't know if you've ever been around people like that, but people who, t- who tend to do that tend to work at their righteousness. They tend to work at their good standing before their Lord. They're always gritting their teeth. You know what I'm talking about? They're gritting their teeth to be good enough, to do good enough, to do enough, to look a certain way, to sound a certain way, to know enough Scripture. And don't get me wrong, you can't know enough Scripture. But, but to, to sound holy enough, to, to, and it leads to legalism. It leads to the law. It leads to self-sufficiency instead of sufficiency in Jesus Christ. 
It's, it's a bad place to be. Now, now, there's another side to that story, and I'm going to get to that at the end of this message. Okay? Now, understand that for any of what I'm telling you right now to make sense, you have to listen to it and you have to see it through spiritual eyes, through your born-again eyes, if you would. Okay? It makes no sense in the natural to think there's a God who created you, and that God who created you was tortured on, whipped and, and, and scourged and, and, then, and then hung on a cross and had nails driven through his wrists and died and, and went through all of that so that you could have it, but there's a catch that you have to receive it freely. You, you can't do anything. You just have to take it. And you go, hold on. This doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. This, this isn't making sense in the natural. Well, you're right. In the natural, it doesn't make any sense. But in the spiritual and in a born-again mind, it makes all the sense there is, okay? Because you realize that for you to receive it freely, what you're doing is you're acknowledging and receiving all the work he did, and you make the cross, you, you, you make it valid, okay? You validate the cross by receiving it. When you do it in your own works and think you're good enough for your salvation or your redemption, you take away from that work. Are y'all following with me so far? It's, it's not really rocket science, okay? So, God created you. You can't do anything. You just have to receive it. Now, today we're going to look at the sum of real grace. How many of you know that just in an, as in addition, or just all you graduates especially ought to know this, or in multiplication, you have a sum. You, one plus one equals the sum of one plus one is Two, okay? In multiplication, you have what's called the product. So two times two is four, the product of that, okay? And it always adds up to something. It always produces something. And it's the same way with the equation or the sum of God's grace. Let's read Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read a few scriptures there, then go to Ephesians chapter 2, then 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace Romans 5.1, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. Correct? Your Bible says grace too? Grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope. That doesn't mean wishing and hoping for something. It means sure certainty of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know sufferings produce perseverance and perseverance character and character, sure certainty, hope. And this sure certainty doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Okay? Now listen to verse 6. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Us. Drop down to verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, Adam, Adam and Eve, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. Now, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did what? God's grace and the gift that came by the what? Grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. 
Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed the one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Another comparison between Adam and Jesus. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that man, of course meaning the sin of Adam, how much more will those who receive God's, what? Abundant, say it with me, abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. All right? Verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one, many were made righteous. Verse 20, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. He's not talking there. Paul is not saying that the law, the Ten Commandments, and, and the law of Moses, that that law was given so that people could sin more. No, it means that their, their sin was, was brought forth. It was brought into the light where you could see it. Okay, because of the law. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So you have even more grace than you have sin. So, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. Grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now turn with me to the right to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 6. Actually, let me start in verse 3. Now listen carefully, because I want to set it in the context here. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. How many of you were there at one time in your life? Raise your hand. How many of you were there at one time in your life? Where all, your whole life was about gratifying the cravings of your sinful nature, all right, and following its desires. We all were. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by what? Grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. Listen, famous passage, church, listen. And seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, listen now, church, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. So that no man can boast. Now, go with me over and then we're going to I'm giving you a workout in the Bible today that's good though go to 2 Corinthians turn back I was going the wrong direction 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 and listen carefully to this actually verse 14 I'm sorry 2 Corinthians 5 14 for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that famous scripture, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. See, all that's the grace of God. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Say, I'm an ambassador. Come on, raise your hand. I'm an ambassador. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I am an ambassador of Christ. I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Part of that ministry of reconciliation and the message of Jesus Christ is the message of grace. A message of grace, and listen to me, church, a message of grace that we, as representatives of Jesus Christ, that me and you, as saints of God, the called out ones of God, the sanctified ones of God, that we must take on his position of grace. And that's my first point today. That in the sum of grace, it must be extended to others. It must be passed forward. It must be paid forward. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore his ambassadors. Now listen to me. The Apostle Paul, how many of you have ever studied the Apostle Paul? Y'all know who I'm talking about. Y'all familiar with Saul became Paul? Okay. The Apostle Paul, listen, listen carefully. He understood this more than anyone. He understood this, this whole idea of grace, this principle of grace. Okay. And the reason is because so much grace had been extended to him. And so he understood what it meant to receive grace and for grace to be extended to him. And not only for God to have extended grace to him, but those people who the Apostle Paul had, had tortured and those people who he had persecuted and sent to jail and those people, their family had watched him carry off their, their, their family members. And those same people had received him after he met the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people who he had done harm to. So he was fully aware of this fact of grace that he had received in his life and did not deserve in his life whatsoever. And because of that, Paul said, we all are, and he himself was an ambassador of grace. And he became the ambassador of God to the Gentiles. Okay? Peter was the ambassador of God to the Jews. Paul was for the Gentiles. Okay? Now listen to me carefully. Isn't, here, here's a question that this poses to us, all right? Isn't it, isn't it funny how, or odd how quickly we forget how much grace was extended to us by God and even by others in our life? Let me say it again. Isn't it, isn't it kind of funny how quickly we forget the amount of grace that was extended to us by God? and by those in our life. We, we forget quickly. We, we really do. And, and Jesus uh, told a parable about that in Matthew chapter 18, and I'll just tell it to you quickly, about the unmerciful servant. Uh, 
there, there was a guy who, who owed his master 10,000 talents. Let's just say that's $50,000. Actually, it's a little more than that, but let's just say it's $50,000, okay, for the sake of numbers here. And he owed his master 15000 I mean $50,000. And there's no way he could pay it. In those days, they had, you know what debtor's prison is? That's where if you didn't pay your bills, you went to jail. <laughs> to jail. Michael, you owe me $5,000. You can't pay me. You're going to jail. It's not like, oh, poor Michael, or, oh, he's going to, you know. No, no, no. You're going to jail. You owe me money. I will throw you into prison. And the person who, had, who held that debt had the right to do that. Is that correct? If, if you study in, in the, the culture in that time and the laws of that time, that's what, and I'm just picking on Michael, okay? Pick on anybody. In here. He's, he's on the front row, all right? And, and, and so this man owed $50,000, and he went and he begged his master. He begged him. He said, please forgive this. He said, look at my kids. They're running around, a bunch of little snotty-nosed kids. If I'm in jail, I won't be able to pay you, and they're going to all starve to death and everything else. And the master felt sorry for him, and he forgave that debt. So he goes, oh, thank goodness. How many times have you been there? You've done one of these. Come on. Have you been there? They forgave me. Come on. Have you been there? Talk to me. This is an interactive church. Have you been there? They forgave me, right? Okay. He, he leaves, and the first thing he does is he runs in to old Michael. And he says, hey, by the way, he said, did you hear what happened to me? He said, yeah. He forgave me $50,000. But hey, by the way, he said, you owe me that 50 bucks. That 50 bucks. And I want my 50 bucks. I've just been forgiven 50000 but I want my 50 bucks. And Michael gets on his knees and says, hey, please, 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 please forgive me, Marshall. I don't have the 50 bucks, but you know Natalie and the boys, and that 50 bucks really important to us right now and everything, and, and would you please forgive No, no way, dude. I want my 50 bucks. You can't pay me? Okay, next Tuesday comes. He still had not paid me. Brother Dwayne, Brother Chris, all of y'all, y'all going to get him in jail. You're going in jail. And so I throw him in jail. Well, the other servants tell the master about that, and the master says, he did what? He did what? He, he threw him in jail for 50 bucks, and I just forgave $50,000. He said, call him in here. And he looks at him, and he says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't have you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on yours? And his master sent him to jail to be tortured until he could pay every penny back. And Jesus said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You see, real grace must be extended. It's got to be paid forward. It's got to produce, it's got to add up more grace. It's meant to be used up forward. How many of you remember the movie, Pay It Forward? Y'all remember that movie? Pay it forward. How many saw that movie? Raise your hand. And the little guy started this revolution, this thing of, of any time something good was happened to someone, that they would just pay it forward. They would go and do it, another good deed for someone else. I, I remember June and I, June's helping Nadine with the babies, but I, she's holding the baby in the back right there, which is precious. Grandchildren. Amen. So, but, but, uh, but anyway, uh, we went to get coffee, and we were at the uh, 
Johnson Street, Java. And we drive up and we go up there and I go to pay for the coffee. And the young lady says, she said, well, sir, it's already been paid for. And I said, what do you mean? Pay for it. She said, well, the people who were in the car right ahead of you paid for your coffee. They said, just pay for theirs too and gave me enough money to take for your coffee. Well, look, at first I was in shock. Have you ever had that happen to you? You just kind of go, well, what? What are you talking about? That doesn't happen in this world today. And she said, no, they, they did. Well, we didn't know that's a trend going on now, that they're doing that a lot at these coffee shops. And all. So I said, well, hey, I want in on this. So I gave her 10 bucks. I said, well, you pay for whoever's behind us coffee. Is that cool or what? Well, you see, grace is so much more powerful and so much more important than a cup of coffee, guys. Don't get me wrong. I don't drink coffee. She enjoyed it. But grace is the real deal. When you extend it forward to someone, what you're doing is you're giving the love and you're giving the forgiveness and you're giving the heart of Jesus Christ to someone else that was extended to you. And we tend to forget so quickly, but it's got to be extended for it to be real grace, for it to add up in the equation of God. You have to pay it forward. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard the expression, man, he forgot where he came from. Have you ever heard that? And he forgot where he came from. Man, he forgot where he was. Look at the way he's treating us. Look what he's doing now. He's all high and mighty, and he doesn't want to release anybody from anything. He forgot where he came from. Listen carefully. Very often when someone forgets where they came from, they end up right back where they came from. Is this true? I see some heads doing like this. Come on. And then they wonder what happened. Well, let me tell you what happened. They trampled on God's great grace that was extended to them. And they trampled on it. They diminished it by not extending it. It's got to be extended. It's something that's given like love that's got to be paid forward. Secondly, real grace, real grace, the sum of real grace has no boundaries. It has no limits, no situational limits, no relational exclusions, or no personal prejudices. Real grace has no boundaries. 2 Corinthians 5, He has committed us this message of reconciliation. We just read it. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. Matthew 18, we, we, we just looked at that just now. Matthew uh, uh, chapter 18, Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother. That's when Jesus told the parable about the, about the servant. How many times should, you, should I forgive my brother who sinned against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 70 times seven. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do right. James chapter 2, but if you show favoritism, your sins, your sin, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Listen to me, dear ones. Real, godly, Holy Spirit-inspired grace is timeless, it's, tim- it's limitless, and it shows no prejudice. It's all-inclusive. Now, why is that? Because it's fueled by the love of God. It's fueled by the love of God, so it doesn't end. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever noticed that certain people show grace to certain people a little more than others? Come on, let's be honest now. This is, this is honest time. They, they, they show grace a little bit more. Is this correct? It's like, it's like in my family, 
we will bend over just a little bit more. We will bend before we break. Is this correct? Right? Have you all noticed that? There's a little more grace available to certain people in certain areas, right? There's a little bit of negative grace that we'll show in the other direction, okay? Extended, you know. Um, Think about it. Uh, Racially, by age, we show a little more grace to someone because of how old they are, whether it's young or old. Uh, How about sexual biases? You know, we'll show a lot of grace to the drug addict or to the prostitute, but we don't have a whole lot of grace in us for the homosexual or for the AIDS patient. Is that correct? I'm not asking you, but in you personally, but have we ever noticed that? The leper of our time, not quite as much grace, okay? I have a confession to make to all of you. And I can talk about him because he's not here today. Uh, My son, Caleb, Raised literally in church, like he says. That what he says that that's not made up. He he literally, you know, he was he would come sleep in my office at church. So all he knows is it, he grew up in church. But because of that, there was always a spotlight on him because he was the pastor's son. And you see, the pastor's son can't be a normal kid. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. And because they live with a spotlight on them all their lives, they're called PKs. That's what it's known in ministry. It's called preacher's kid or pastor's kid. And, and anyone who's a pastor's kid, they'll say, oh, yeah, I was a PK. Now, 99.9% of PKs don't walk through the door of a church at all. And the reason they don't do that is because all they ever had was a spotlight on them, and their father would never let them be a normal kid, and he could not get away with the things that other kids would get away with because he's my son, and he's a reflection of me. Now, now I'm building up. This is true. This is the truth. I had to deal with this in my life. Because you see, I was more worried about the way he made me look than I was about the reality of who he was and he was just a kid growing up. You see, I was prejudiced toward my son. And listen to me, church. I would show more grace to your son than I would to my son. And it stunk. And when we were older, I had to ask him to forgive me. I had to say, son, please forgive me for that. Because he grew up with a spotlight on him all the time. And you can't do that, and you can't do it, and all that kind of stuff. And so because of that, very often on Sundays, June and I will leave here and we cry because we say, Our son is even in church, much less leading us in praise and worship. You see, your grace has to be extended. And your grace has to be boundless and without prejudice in your life. If you're going to show it, you need to show it all the way around, okay? Thirdly, And lastly, real grace will produce humility in the sum of things. It will produce humility, an acute awareness of the grace that was extended to you. Listen in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, what the Apostle Paul said. Listen to me, dear ones. The Apostle Paul says, Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying. 
that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, the chief, Paul says. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Humility, Paul had it because humility, listen carefully, is nothing more than the right estimation of who you are before God. The right estimation of who you are. And pride is a wrong estimation where you start thinking more highly of yourself. You start thinking of yourself as something good or something worth all that stuff. You see, pride says, listen to this, and I haven't been listening to your phone conversations or in your living room. Listen, pride says they're just getting what they deserve. Now, I know I'm probably the only one who's ever said that in this church. (laughs) Miss Teresa's honest. She's shaking her head back there. Come on. Pride says, oh, they're just getting what they deserve. They did that, and that's that's what they deserve. That's what pride says. Humility, humility says it this way. Oh, my goodness. There I am. That's me. Only by the grace of God, that's right where I'd be. What can we do to help him, Brother Dwayne? That's what humility says. Pride says, you've had your last chance. Now it's time, it's payback time. Now I know that I'm probably the only one who's ever said that in, the, in this church. <laughs> come on now, it's getting personal. Y'all real quiet. Woo. Come on, y'all, y'all can still smile. Come on. That's what pride says. You've had your last chance. Humility says, let's give them one more shot. Humility says, that's me and someone gave me another chance. Let's, let's, go, let's go back. Let's, let's do this different. I, I'm going to tell a story one time and, and uh, uh, there were probably two teachers at Family Life Church when this was going on at the school there. They would, they, there was a, 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 any children that go to school there, as many Christian schools here, they still paddle the kids if, they're, if they break so many rules and, and all that kind of stuff. They still do that. And the parents sign a release for that and all. Well, there was a time up until the time that we started this church where, where the kids, when the kids did something wrong, they would call the pastors. You remember that, Miss Linnell? You remember that, Miss Crystal? They would call the pastors. And I was a pastor on staff, and I was there pretty much all the time. And so I got called quite a bit. And they'd call me up to go paddle these kids. Now, those of you that know me, I'm not real big on that. This is like, you know the old expression, son, believe me, this is harder on me than it is you. It really was. I would rather them paddle me than me have to paddle them. But I, I, I made a practice, and nobody knew it, so you, don't go tell anybody if y'all don't. I, I didn't tell anybody this. I would call the parents up. The first thing I would do, I would, I would even delay it. I would delay the punishment until I could talk to the parents. And I'd call them up, and I'd say, hey, uh, 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 Johnny or whoever, is, you know, they, they're going to get paddled, and I just want you to know that. And do you want to come over here and do this yourself? No, I'm serious, because this is your kid, not my kid. 
and, and, and I understand the whole principle about you spare the rod, spoil the child. Look, I'm, I know all that. We, raise, we wore out paddles on our son, okay? But I understand that. But this is your kid. And they sometimes would come. They'd come there and they would, they would talk to the child and pray with the child and then I'd have to paddle them or they would paddle them or whatever. This one time, this young man, they called me upstairs and they, they said, uh, Brother Marshall, uh, we got so-and-so who needs to be paddled. Would you please come down here? I said, okay. So I called up and his dad answered the phone. And I said, uh, two boys downstairs. I'm not going to name your names because you all know these people. And I, and I said, T-Boy's downstairs, and, and, uh, and, he, and he, wasn't t- he wasn't that young. He was in seventh or eighth grade, and, and I said, he's done this and done this and done that, and can you come? Uh, what do you want me to do? And this is a quote. I'll never forget it. This is a quote. He said, burn him. That's what he said. Burning. I wanted to jump through the phone with a baseball bat and work this cat over. I said, excuse me? Do what? He said, burning. And he said, when he gets home, he's going to get it again. That's a quote. I said, you have a wonderful day. Click, wah. And I went downstairs, and here was this young man, scared to death because he knew what he was fixing to get at school, and he knew what he was going to get at home. No grace. And so I looked at him, talked to him about what he had done. Now, if you all tell somebody this, I'm going to say this. Of course, it's on tape. It's going to be on the Internet. I said, now listen, I've got to paddle you. So I said, I'm going to just kind of touch you with this thing. I think you've learned, haven't you? He said, oh, yes, sir, I have, because I knew he was going to get it when he got home. And I said, I want you to make some horrible noise in here. (laughs) I did, I did, I did. He said, okay, sounds good to me. I'm serious. Burn him. Oh, boy, that's some good Christian grace, huh? Now, let me give you all a caution. Because someone came up with kind of a a semi-rebuke last Sunday toward me. (laughs) Not a rebuke, but a a, a correction. So listen to me carefully. I'm preaching on grace and I'm trying to teach you the principles of grace primarily because so, so that you can understand what's been extended to you and so that you can extend it to other people. But I want you to understand something. Here's a giant caution for you today and we'll talk more about it next Sunday. That the grace of God is not a license to sin. It's all covered by the grace of God, Brother Marshall said. Not by our works, least no man should boast. So it doesn't matter. I can't be good at No, 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 no. That's not what grace is. Grace is not a license for you to go out there and sin and say, okay, it's covered by the grace of God. 
How many of you are aware in John chapter 8 the story about the, the lady, the woman who is caught in adultery? Have you read that story before? They caught a lady in adultery. They bring her before the Pharisees. And the law says that you would stone someone to death. Well, I've always had a question about that because it was just the lady. Where was the man? Was it a setup? Was he one of the Pharisees? Did he bribe them? Was the whole thing all set up just to trick Jesus? That's what I think it was. And, and the Pharisees, where were they? They were all looking through the keyhole like a bunch of perverts. What was going on here? What's, what's happening here, okay? But this woman is brought, and they're going to stone her to death. Okay? And y'all know the story. Jesus just kneels down, and it says twice that he was writing down in the sand. And as he was writing, the, starting with the oldest Pharisee, the oldest elder, they were walking away from this lady. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, woman, where are your accusers now? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. And listen to these words. Nobody ever preaches on this. Go now. And what? And sin no more. Go now and sin no more. You have received grace. You have received forgiveness. Your sin has been covered by the, by, the, by the cross and by the work that Jesus was about to go through and his blood that was going to be shed. But go and sin no more. Now listen carefully. I'm going to give you all a little illustration here. All right? Grace is like it operates like a schoolyard. Have you all seen most of them, all of them today, have fences around them, correct? And a child in that fence knows that he's safe and he can play and have fun within that fence and he can have a good time. That is the, that is the area of grace in our lives, okay? When a child or when someone jumps over that fence and jumps into the world, it is not an area of grace, but it is a kingdom of sin. So they jump from, from the grace into the sin. But here's the problem. Very often people try to either walk on the top of the fence or they jump into the sin and think they can jump just for a day or two and then jump back into the grace. And that's not how it operates. That's called willful sin. And it violates the grace of God. Listen to me, church. You can't say, oh, well, listen, I'll, I can go ahead and do that because it's covered by grace. And Brother Marshall said, no, 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 no. That's violating it. That's willful sin that you know you're sinning before you sin, and it is not covered by the grace of God. I had a young man that I discipled who went to pastor a church and looked at me one day and said he was going to leave his wife for a young lady and tried to pull sloppy grace on me and tell me in my face. And he looked at me and said, and God's grace will cover this. And I said, oh, no, it won't. And I looked at him and said, don't you, don't you dare cheapen the grace of God. And he got very upset with me and went on to leave his wife. The grace of God is not a license to sin. It is the fuel 
to leave sin. It is the cover of the love of God to leave that sin and go back into the arms of Jesus Christ. Are you following me? And today, that person who spoke to me last week was telling the truth that today there's a message, it's called sloppy grace, where everything comes under the, you know, it's everything's okay and everything's all right. Yes, we love sinners. Yes, this church loves sinners. Anyone who walks through these doors, we will receive them in love. But I will not excuse sin. I will not cover sin. I will not pretend that it's not happening. If someone walks in here and they're exhibiting sin, we'll cart them right out and we'll, we'll show them the parking lot, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus Christ through grace, by faith, and then extending that to someone else, not excusing it. There's still a penalty for sin, okay? Had someone who was coming to church here who wanted me to expel people from this church who were, who were living in sin. And I said, it ain't going to happen. Not here. I'm not going to condone it. I'm not going to license sin. I'm not going to just put this giant blessing on sin, but I'm also, as long as anyone wants to walk through these doors, church, and you listen to me carefully, anyone wants to walk through these doors and be civil and come in here and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and not make a public display of their sin, and y'all know what I'm talking about here, then they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they will receive the love from us and from Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Because where do we draw the line? Your kids drinking, your kids smoking, your kids watching pornography, your husband is, your wife is, you're this, you're that. Where are we going to draw the line? We'll say, no, no, we're going to draw the line right there. I'll pick up poor Michael again. Michael's got a tattoo here. Oh, nope, nope, no tattoos in this church. Oh, Michael, sorry, you can't. Where do we draw the line? Come on. Now, sin is sin. And I will not discard that. But the grace of God is what we need to extend. Okay? Now, so many pastors today, you can turn the music on, so many pastors today in certain areas, and I'm going to just speak honestly with y'all today. They're, they're condoning uh, uh, marriage, homosexual marriage. They're performing homosexual marriage. I'm serious. Certain denominations, mainline denominations, Okay? I mean, there's some craziness going on out there. But the grace of God is what we need to extend. The love of God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Please, don't raise your hand. How many of us in this church today have homosexuals in their family? Come on. How many of us have spouses or children who have had problems with drugs or alcohol? Don't don't raise your hand. How many of us in here today have spouses or loved ones or even us who are having a hard time with pornography? Come on. 
Who needs the grace of God? And everybody raise your hand. You need the grace of God? Oh, absolutely. He didn't take him, he didn't have to think about it. This is the grace of God. This is the grace of God. A young girl grew up in a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. This is a true story. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tended to overreact to her nose ring, to the music she listened to, and to the length of her skirt. They grounded her a few times, and she seethed inside every time. I hate you. She screamed at her father when he knocked on the door of her room after an argument. And that night, she decided to act out her plan that she had rehearsed many times. She ran away. She ran away. She had visited Chicago, I mean Detroit, only once before on a bus trip with her youth group to watch the Tigers play. Because newspapers in Traverse City report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs, and the violence in downtown Detroit, she concluded that it was possibly the last place her parents would look for her. California, maybe. Florida. But not Detroit. Her second day in Detroit, she met a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride. He buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay, and gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right along. Her parents were keeping all this fun from her. The good life continues for a month, two months, and even a year. The man with the big car she now calls boss because he teaches her a few things that men really like. Since she's underage, they pay a premium price for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally, she thinks about her folks back home, but their lives now seem boring and provincial. She had a brief scare when she sees her picture on the back of a milk carton that said, Have you seen this child? But now her hair is blonde, and with all the makeup and body piercing she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways now, and nobody squeals in in Detroit. After a year, the first signs of illness appear, and it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days, he says, we can't mess around. And before she knew it, she was out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks a night, but they don't pay much, and all the money goes to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside big department stores. But sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in Detroit can't relax. She has dark bands, circles around her eyes, and her cough is worsening. One night as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden everything about her life is different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a cold, frightened city, and she begins to whimper 
Her pockets are empty, she's hungry, and she needs a fix. She pulls her legs up tight under her and shivers under the newspaper she's piled on top of her. Something jolts a synapse of memory and a single image fills her mind of May in Traverse City when a million cherry trees bloom at once. And she says, Oh God, why did I leave? My dog back home eats better than I do now. And sobbing, she knows in a flash that more than anything in the world she wants to go home. She makes three straight phone calls and three connections to the answering machine. She hangs up, leaving a message. But the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I'm wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way and I'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for the bus to make it all the way from Detroit to Traverse City, and during that time, she realizes some flaws in her plan. What if her parents aren't home? What if they're out of town on vacation? Shouldn't she have waited another day until she should talk, could talk to them? And probably many months before they had written her off as dead. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she's going to prepare for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all me. Dad, can you forgive me? And on and on and on. And the bus keeps driving all with lights on all the way there. When the bus finally rolls into the station, air brakes hissing, the driver says, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here. 15 minutes and 15 minutes for her to decide the rest of her life. She checks herself in her compact mirror, smooths her hair, takes the lipstick off of her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice if they're even there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that had played out in her mind prepared her for what she sees. There on the concrete walls and the plastic chairs of the bus station stand a group of 40 brothers and sisters, great aunts and uncles and cousins and grandmothers and great-grandmother to boot, and they're all wearing these goofy party hats, blowing noisemakers, and taped across the entire terminal wall is a computer banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears, quivering in her eyes, and begins her speech and says, Dad, I'm sorry, I know. And he says, Hush, child. There's no time for that. There's no time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. The party that's waiting for you at home. Now listen to me, church. Listen to me. How many of you in here have had a party waiting for you at home? 
when you stepped out of that bus and didn't deserve a party at all. Is it just me? stand I want us to ask God to forgive us for not receiving his grace free thinking that we have to earn it and then I want us to ask God to forgive us for not extending completely free that same grace to others see that's the crust of this message then I want us to thank him for his love directed toward us come on right now let's say Say, say with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me for thinking I can earn your grace. I receive your goodness as we sang. Say it right now. Receive your goodness into my heart and into my life. And I thank you for it, Lord. Holy Spirit, come on, say it with me. Holy Spirit, Quicken to my spirit this message the next time I want to throw a stone. Help me to extend your grace toward others. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.